right, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Glad to be here today. Amen. Let's just thank the Lord one more time for a chance to be in God's house. Amen. 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 All right, so uh, take your Bibles. Let's open them up to the book of 1 Kings. That's in the Old Testament. First uh, Kings chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. We're starting a new series called Winners and Losers. You know, we live in a, in a day when everybody gets a trophy, right? Everybody gets a, a participation trophy. Everybody's a winner, you know. That's not really life, okay? In life, there are winners and there are losers. That's why we like sports, I think, because at least at the end of the game, somebody won, somebody didn't win. It's clear cut. Unfortunately, life, it's not so clear cut who are winners and losers. But what we're going to be doing is be looking at the book of First and Second Kings. And we're going to be looking at the kings that ruled over Israel. Now, we're going to take all of them. We don't have time enough in the summer to get through all of them. But we're going to take several of them, one every week. And guess what? Some of those kings are going to be winners. And other kings are definitely going to be what? Losers, that's right. And so we're going to learn both from winners and losers. What, what is the lesson we need to learn from them about why they were winners or why they were losers and how that applies to our life today? And so we're going to start off in 1 Kings chapter 2 with uh, the first king mentioned in, in the book, and that is King David, all right? King David was probably one of the most prominent figures in the Old Testament uh, much of First and Second Samuel is about King David and his life and all of his exploits and so on. So we could do a multiple series just on the life of David. Uh, but he's just barely mentioned in the book of First Kings. And we're going to take a look at his life. King David, in fact, while I was in Israel, which, by the way, I just got back yesterday at noon. So if I say something weird, it was the jet lag, okay? Just give me a little grace, all right? Uh, but... Uh, we had a great time spending out 10 days uh, in Israel and, and, and just really studying the life of Christ. We had a, an amazing time. Hopefully next year uh, you can go with me. It's a, really a trip of a lifetime. And uh, I got to do something I'd never done before on this trip is I actually visited uh, the, the traditional gravesite of King David. Here's a, actually a picture of me standing next to that. My face looks a little weird. I think, I think I'm a little hangry maybe at that point. Haven't had lunch yet. Like, hurry up, take the picture. Let's go eat. All right? That's what it looks like. Anyway, and there I'm standing next to the, uh, the traditional site of the burial of King David, which is in the kind of the, uh, let's see, it would be on the western side, kind of southwestern side of the city of, of, of Jerusalem. And, um, you know, David was a prominent figure. His shadow cast a, a long way for a lot of reasons. Dave, David was the first one to be really consolidate the nation around a king. Uh, he was the one to, to have Jerusalem be the capital of uh, Israel. Uh, he really fortified uh, the army and developed it militarily. He subdued the, their enemy, the Philistines. He expanded the borders from about 6,000 square feet to 60,000 square feet. Uh, or square miles, 6,000 square miles to 60,000 square miles. He, uh, he really expanded the, the country. Uh, he gave the country a heart for God and a sense of celebration and worship. He, he created the designs for the temple that would later be uh, built by his son Solomon. 
Um, and, and one of the things he did for us is he gave us a book of songs which are in our Bible called the Psalms, which really lay out for us a heart of worship of God. So we're really indebted to King David for all that he did. And, and we're looking today, we're, we're gonna put David in the category of a winner. Now, there, there are a lot, of, a lot of things David did wrong. We're gonna talk about that. But, but there was a reason why David was really set apart. In fact, even today, a lot of people are named David and it is after King David. If you're here today, your, your name is David or you have a, somebody in your family named David, raise up your hand. All right, look at, look, look at all these Davids around, okay? Uh, yeah, we don't name our sons after losers, right? We name our sons after winners, right? And David is a winner, all right? And why was David a winner? What set him apart? What can we learn from David? Well, that's what we're gonna get into right now. So why don't you open up your Bible, uh, 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. This is the word of God. As the time approached for David to die, he ordered his son Solomon, as for me, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong and be a man. And keep your obligations to the Lord your God to walk in his ways, keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. This is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn. And so that the Lord will fulfill his promises that he made to me. If your sons guard their ways to walk faithfully before me with all their heart and all their soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. Now stop right there. David is now an older man and he is about to die and he calls his son Solomon to his side and he's going to give him his final words. And final words are important. You remember someone's last words. Final words are important because they reveal something about that person and what's important to that person. Many of you remember Todd Beamer on that United Flight 93 in 2001 when a 9-11 terrorist took over that plane and as he said goodbye to his wife, he was overheard saying his last words, are you ready? Let's roll. Bob Marley, the uh, musician, his last words were money can't buy life. Jack Daniels, his last words were these, one last drink, please. Mozart, uh, his last words were this, the taste of death is upon my lips. I feel something that is not of this earth. You know, everyone approaches death differently. And uh, David is here in his last days and his last words, the last recorded words that we have. At the end of this small speech, David passes away. And he's gonna give his charge to his son. Now, there are really actually two accounts. There's one public charge that he gives to Solomon in front of all the people, and he gives a charge to everyone as well. But this is the private conversation, the private between father and son, one leader to another leader. And I believe that we learn what really makes David different. Why is David a winner? 
I, th I think we find uh, the reason, the answer to that in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. In fact, you can just write in the margin of your Bible, Acts 13, verse 22. It's a great cross-reference. And this is what it says. After removing him, he ra raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart, one who will carry out all my will. See, David was a winner because David was a man after God's heart. You've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, I know, David's a man after God's own heart. But what that means is that David had a heart to seek after God and to please God and to do what God wanted. And that can't be overstated because most of us, our desires do what we want, right? And go the way we want. And we're upset at God if he doesn't do what we want to do. And David totally turned that upside down. He said, no, no, I just want to please the Lord. I want to please God. I want to know him. I want to follow him. And I want to do what he says to do. And that set him apart from most of all the other kings that ever led Israel. He was a man after God's own heart. And that's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for me is to be someone after God's own heart. And listen, I believe that when we seek God's heart, when we desire him, then we really begin to understand and discover God's purpose for our life. In fact, you can, you could put it this way. When you seek God's heart, you discover God's purpose. When you seek God's heart, you discover God's purpose. You know, there are many people trying to discover their purpose in life apart from God. You'll never find your ultimate purpose in life apart from God. You never find it through a, a guidance counselor. You never find it in college. You never find it, you know, by taking some kind of test. You'll never find that. You find it by seeking God. And as you seek the Lord, then he reveals to you his purpose for your life. God's purpose for your life can only be discovered when you seek him first. And here is David at the end of his life, and he's trying to communicate to his son what's important, why he was a man after God's own heart. And I think we see it in these verses. So let me give you a couple of things that David conveys to his son. Now, I want you to get the picture. I, I picture it this way. I picture a man in a hospital bed. He's about to die. These are his last words. And he calls his son in, and he puts his hand on his son, and he gives him these last words. What would you say? If that was you, if you were going to put your hands on your son or your daughter, what would you speak into their life in your final breath, your final words? This is the moment for David. And I think he shares three things with Solomon, his son. Here's the first thing. He said, rely on God's strength. Rely on God's strength. If you want to seek after God and be a man after God's heart, you've got to rely on God's strength. Look at verse 2. He said, as for me, I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong and be a man. See, Solomon was an untested leader. He was young. He was untested. He had never really taken the, the, the helm of leadership. And now all of a sudden, dad, the great David, right? The great giant slayer is going to die. And now it's up to me. And, and he's like, Solomon, be strong and be a man. Which, by the way, I just love that statement, right? Be a man. I love that statement. You know, we live in a culture where masculinity is very confusing to a lot of people, all right? And uh, even there, there are those out there that seem to think that masculinity is a toxic thing. It's a bad thing to be a strong man. But, uh, and, and probably if I were to ask somebody about that, they would say, well, what I mean by toxic masculinity is when men, you know, are, uh, they're abusive and they treat women poorly and they're violent and they are uh, they, they, they refuse authority and that kind of thing. That's what I mean by toxic masculinity. We just call that sinful, okay? 
That, that's man at his sinful state. That's man uh, untethered from God's purpose for his life. That's man living his own life, doing what's right in his own eyes. And we see that played out all the way through the scriptures, don't we? See men living like that. But when David said, Solomon, be a man, that's not what he means. He means be a man of God. Be a man of God. And when you are a man of God, what that means is this. You're a man that resists passivity. You're a man that leads courageously. You're a man that leads with vision, a man that protects his family, that guards his own, that stands for what's right and what's true and what's just, though the heavens fall. And that's the kind of men we need today. These are the kind of men we need in leadership that are not swayed by public opinion, but only bow to one, and that is Jesus Christ, that are willing to stand at their ground, to protect their homes, to love God and to serve God, and to do whatever it takes to protect them. That's the kind of men we need to lead us. That's the kind of men we need in our homes, our businesses, our churches, our government. These are the kind of men we wanna raise our sons to be, and these are the kind of men we want our daughters to marry, right? Are these kinds of men. Amen, we can clap for that, that's all right. And so this is what David's saying. He's saying, Solomon, be a man. And I know Solomon's probably thinking, okay, dad, thanks for the pep talk, but how? <laughs> how do I do that? I don't know how to do, I don't know how to do what you're asking me to do. I, I don't know the first thing to do to lead this nation. What should I do? And so David gives a little more information about how to lead like that. And this is so powerful. This is found in 1 Chronicles 28, 20. 1 Chronicles 28, 20, he says, Then David said to Solomon, Be strong and courageous and act. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Why? For the Lord God, my God, is with you. And he will not fail you or forsake you. Just love that. He's like, Solomon, okay, listen, my hand's on your hand. Be a man and lead well. And let me tell you a secret. It was never about my strength. My success was never about my ability. My success was never about how strong I am or how powerful I am. It was always about in my weak moments, Solomon, I learned to depend on God for strength. I learned to depend on him and the same God that was with me is gonna be with you. The same one that led me is gonna lead you. The same one that spoke to me is gonna to speak to you. The same one that gave me courage is gonna give you courage in the moment that you need it. So my God is going to be with you. You just need to rely on his strength. You see this all the way through David's life. Think about David, you know, the, his probably greatest moment, right, uh, that we think about is David and Goliath, right, where he faces off Goliath, this great giant, but when he does so, how does he do it? In his own strength? No. In fact, he says, you come against me with a sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. All right, he's like, I'm coming against you in the strength of the Lord, and that was a secret of David. That it wasn't that David was such a great leader, it was that David knew his limitations and he desperately asked God for help. And he, so many times he would say, Lord, where can I go but to you? And Lord, I, I can't do this without you. You're my strength, you're my hope, you're my help, you're my fortress, you're my protection. Lord, I need you. That's the man after God's heart. Not self-reliant, self, this whole myth of a self-made man is not in the Bible. The real man is the one that finds himself on his knees saying, Lord, I don't know what to do, but I'm trusting you to give me strength. I mean, look at it in, in, in Psalm 18, verse 1. This is, these are the words of David. He said, I, he said, I love you, Lord, my strength, 
The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock, where I seek refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You know, I believe that many times God will put us in positions where we don't know what to do, so we learn to depend on God and rely on his strength. When we were in uh, Israel this last time, we went to a, a place called the Wilderness Overlook, where you basically look down this large wadi. It's called the Wadi Kelt. It goes between Jericho and Jerusalem. It's very desolate. It's like the surface of the moon. It's just rocks and dirt, and that's it. No vegetation, no water. It's just absolute desolate. Many times God would lead his people into the wilderness, right? The Israelites spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Jesus spent 40 days wandering in the wilderness. Many times uh, people like Elijah and the prophets came out of the wilderness. Why, why was the wilderness so important? Here's why. Because in the wilderness, you quickly realize that you are desperate. There's no shelter. There's no food. There's no water. And you cannot make it on your own. I believe that God will take us many times through wilderness experiences, maybe times of doubt, maybe times of physical problems, maybe times of depression, maybe times of discouragement in our families, maybe times of crisis. And that many times God takes us in there. And listen, he doesn't take you in through that because he is mad at you. He doesn't take you through that because he wants to harm you. He takes you through that because he's teaching you how to rely on his strength and not your own. And sometimes you have to come to the end of yourself so you say, God, I've got nothing else. And that's when he can show himself strong on your behalf. And that's what David was telling Solomon. He said, Solomon, be a man and rely on God's strength and not your own strength. The worst thing you can do is rely on your own strength, your own wisdom, your own discernment. No, no, that will fail you every time. Rely on God. My God who is with me will be with you. Rely on his strength. Second thing David told Solomon is this, not only to rely on his strength, but to obey God's word. Look at, look at verse three. He says, keep your obligations to the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. This is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn. So David said, listen, not only do you need to rely on his strength, Solomon, but here's another thing, Solomon, here's a secret to my success is that you need to love and obey God's word. You need to love and obey God's word. When you think of David, you think about David's love for the word. I mean, David loved the law of God. I mean, you, you think about all the Psalms, you know, Psalm 19 talks about all the, how, how much the word satisfies us, renews us, our, our life, our breath. Psalm 119, though it was the longest Psalm in the Bible, is all about David's love for God's word. In fact, let me just read a couple of verses. Psalm 119, verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. David said, man, I just, Lord, if you just teach me, I'll follow to the very end. If you'll just show me what you want, I'll keep it. I delight and love your word. I heard somebody say one time, uh, a Bible that's falling apart is usually owned by someone who's not. Isn't that good? You can write that down. Uh, that's good. A Bible that's falling apart is usually owned by someone who's not. And so it, it, can, can I look at your Bible and tell how much you love the word? Is it like one of these... 
Okay, <laughs> all right, honey, I'm ready for Sunday, you know, or is it one of these that, you know, is every page is written, poured over maybe tear marks and stains on some pages where you poured night and day over it? David said, Solomon, if you will do what God says, you will have success. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? But here's what I want you to understand. And this is really important. Listen to me very carefully. Success in God's eyes is very often very different than success in our eyes. Success in our eyes can be all about accomplishment or, or how much money you got in the bank or where you live or and that sort of thing. That can be successful. Oh, wow, they're really successful. They're really known in their field. They're really you know, iconic in their work. They're very, very successful. But it is possible to be successful in the world's eyes and yet be an utter failure in God's eyes. And that ought to scare you to death. It's possible to chase after success in the world's eyes and be a failure and to waste your life in God's eyes because God views success differently than man does. And this is God's view of success. Here it is. I'm just going to give it to you very simply. God's view of success is obedience. Someone who loves God and obeys his word is living a successful life because he's living exactly the way God wants him to live. His creator made him to do that, and he's doing it, and that is successful. But you flip it over on the other side, someone who is living a disobedient life is really wasting their life. You're wasting it. Oh, you may, you may, everybody may think you're great at the office, but you're wasting your life because you're not obeying what God wants for you. And so this is what David's saying to Solomon. He says, Solomon, not only do you need to rely on God's strength, but you need to love God's word, Solomon. Love his word with all your heart and obey him and do your best to stay with it, Solomon. Because if you do that, God will give you success. You will be successful if you will just go God's way. You hear the father heart of David pouring out to his son? And I think probably as David's saying that, he's rewinding the tape of his own life. And there were times when he really obeyed God and man, it was great. And then there were times when he disobeyed God and his utter failure hurt so many people. Maybe David's mind went back to his affair, his illicit affair with Bathsheba. And then how he covered it by killing her husband, his dear friend, and the scandal and the lies and the cover-up. But listen, David, even in his failures, even when he broke God's law and when he wasn't obedient, he was quick to confess it when he was confronted. In fact, in uh, his article about David, Kevin D. Young, who has written uh, about David recently, he said this, quote, I believe David's great greatness was simply this, as much as he sinned, he never failed to own up to his sin. He went on to say, David never ran from the light when it exposed his darkness. See, David loved the word enough to obey it, and then when he failed it, he loved the word enough, and he loved God enough to confess it and say, I've sinned against you, God. I've sinned against you. How could I have done this, God? Forgive me. David was a man after God's own heart. David sought the Lord by relying on his strength and he sought the Lord by loving and obeying God's word. And when he failed, he confessed it quickly. Now, let me ask you something. Is that what people would say about you? If we were having your funeral right now and the preacher's talking about you, would they say she loved the Lord? She loved God's word. 
And even when she failed, she quickly confessed it to the Lord because she didn't want anything to come between her and, and her God. He loved God's word. He obeyed God. And, and, and even when he struggled and even when he failed, he was quick to confess it. Is that you? That, that's what it means to, to be a man after God's own heart, to seek the Lord. See, if you seek, uh, if you seek God, then you'll find your purpose. And David said, you want to seek God? You do it by relying on God's strength. You do it by loving and obeying God's word. Here's another thing he said. Uh, he said, Solomon, you need to trust God's promises. Look at verse four. Look at verse four. He said, and so that the Lord will fulfill his promise that he made to me. If your sons guard their way to walk faithfully before me with all their heart and all their soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne. God made this incredible promise to David. And he said, David, if you will follow me and if your sons will follow after me, you will never, there will never be a time in Israel's history when a, a someone for your line does not lead. Isn't that an amazing promise? He said, there will be always someone in in the future, there will always be someone from David's line that will ultimately lead Israel. And so he's like, I remember Solomon, the Lord made me a promise <laughs> that if you will follow him, if you rely on his strength, if you will love and obey his word, then, then God will be faithful to establish you and not only you, but your sons after you and your sons after you and your sons after you. If you will do this, you can hold to the promise. See, David was a man of God of great faith. He, he trusted God. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And, and he took hold of God's promises and he stood on them and he trusted them. You know, years ago when I was um, new in ministry, I used to have this little booklet. You may have had one too. It, the, my copy was like a blue cover. It was a small little thin paperback and it said God's promise book. I actually still have a cop, copy of, the, of that. And inside of it, you would look up, and it just had all the promises of God from the scripture, but they were categorized by different topics, like uh, God's faithfulness, or God's love, or God's provision, or God's care, uh, this kind of thing. And you could look it up if you were struggling with whatever problem, and you could go straight, and you would find all these promises that God made. And I can't tell you how many times I would go to that little promise book, and I would read and remember God's promises. You know, God's promises are an anchor for us in troubled times. I don't know how many times I would take that little promise book and I'd take it to the hospital with me and I'd stand right next to somebody who's struggling in the hospital and I'd say, let me just read you some of God's promises. And I would read those promises and I'd pray them back as our, my, our prayer to the Lord. Standing on promises is how you live the Christian life. And David was trying to convey that to Solomon. Solomon, God made a promise to me, and he's also made a promise to you. And if you'll do these things, God will be faithful if you'll be faithful. God will give you success if you'll do this. So this is what David is saying. He's saying, listen, if you want to have a heart after God, if you want to know God and know your purpose, this is what you need to do. You've got to rely on God's strength when you're out of it. And Solomon, you've got to, you've got to love his word and seek to obey it. And you've got to stand and hold on to God's promises, no matter what. Even when you don't see him come true, you've got to stand and hold on to God's promises and trust God that God is faithful to his word. That's how David lived his life. That's how David led the nation. When I went to see David's tomb, I guess I expected some big epitaph. Here lies David, king of Israel, and, and some profound statement. Not really much was there. 
Historians say that kings that came after him looted David's shrine. King Herod took some of it for his own purposes. I think if there was an epitaph for David, you would find it in Acts chapter 13, verse 36. This is what it says. For David, after serving God's purposes on, in his own generation, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and decayed. <laughs> it says David, after he fell asleep, after serving God's purposes, he fell asleep, was buried with his father and decayed. It's kind of gross and kind of awesome all at the same time. He served God's purposes. I wonder if that could be said about you. After walking with God and serving God's purposes, he was buried with his fathers. She was buried with her fathers and mothers. That's what God wants for each one of us. God wants us to live a life fully for him. Just this last month, in May, in May 13th of this year, W.T. Johnson passed away. Coach Johnson was a coach of Newton High School and led the Newton Eagles to their second consecutive uh, high school football championship. The um, small little 3A school, but back-to-back -back state championships was obviously a big deal in that town. But Coach Johnson was uh, only given about eight months to live. He had a lung transplant, it began to fail. They said, you only have a few months to live. In fact, he said he didn't know if he was gonna be able to live even through the season, the football season, even though God allowed him to do so. And at, after that game, many reporters were around him from Sports Illustrated, from ESPN, all wanting to get his take on the victory. And to one reporter, he said these words. He said, you know, I, I only was given about eight months to live. I didn't even know if I was gonna survive. But he said, you know, I've really been given a great gift. He said, the great gift is this. I have been able to live long enough in my life to see the impact my life has had on others. And he said, I'm so thankful for Jesus. That he's cared for me and preserved me. So I get to see the impact I've made. And he said, if I did things right, my life will continue to have impact long after I'm gone. Yeah, you know, I, I thought about his interview and I thought, you know, that's a man that has walked with God. That knew how to rely on God's strength when he didn't have any, knew how to love God's word and hold on to it, knew how to trust God's promises. He's a man who lived his life well. And you know, sometimes we need to take stock in our own life and how are we doing? How is your life? Are you living that way? If I were to ask you, and I'm gonna close up with this. If I were to ask you, so tell me honestly, this is just the two of us now, okay? Are you doing that? I mean, really, are you loving and obeying God's word perfectly? Are you uh, always trusting God's promises perfectly? Are you always relying on God's strength perfectly? Is that how you live your life? If you were really honest with me, and if I were really honest with you, we would probably say, no, not really. And the reason why is because we can't. And that is why we need Jesus.
You see, Jesus is the perfect David. He is the, he's the ultimate David. While David did these things in part, right? But then he had his epic failures as well. Jesus fulfilled them perfectly. Jesus relied on his father. In fact, he said, the son cannot do anything except with the father. He, I cannot do anything on my own. He, he said, I, I obey the Lord. He said, I always do what pleases my father. He perfectly always obeyed. He lived a perfect life. And Jesus trusted God's promises. In Hebrews 11, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And why? Because he knew, he trusted that on the other side of the cross, that he would be exalted. He trusted his Father perfectly. Jesus lived the perfect life. What David did in part, Jesus did fully. David is a foreshadowing of Jesus. David is a type of Jesus, the one who ultimately lived this way. And listen, Jesus' last words on the cross were not, try hard to live like me. That's not his last words. While David's last words were, try to do these things, we can't do these things because we're sinful and we're selfish and we go our own way. So Jesus' last words were not, try to do these things. Jesus' last words were, it is finished meaning I have lived the life that you cannot live. I have died in payment for your sin. And now if you will trust me, I will put my life in you by my spirit. Listen, the Christian life is not try harder. The Christian life is only Jesus, only Jesus. And if you're looking for your purpose, if you're looking for fulfillment, if you're looking for to be a person after God's own heart, that doesn't come by you trying hard to be religious or giving up and going, well, I can't do it, so why even try? What we do is we come to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, only you can live this life through me. Forgive me. Come into my life. Put your spirit within me. And he will change your heart to be a heart that's after his heart. He will change you on the inside to be someone who loves him to be a man and a woman after his own heart. That's what Jesus does. And he'll do it for you. If you trust him.